we all survived and I still hold those memories very precious preciously I don't can you use that as an adverb anyways those memories are very precious yeah preciously whereas Newfoundland there were some hills that were significant even to run up let alone drive up so I think those were difficult you know stretches in the prairies where you can just see for kilometers and kilometers (laughs) and you wonder how long it's going to take to to get to that point there are numerous opportunities for technology to be incorporated into outdoor learning to environmental climate change education but i think it just needs a critical lens to look through of how that technology is being used to think that indigenous peoples traveled this country in various parts of it and didn't have access to anywhere near what we have access to i mean if you want to start talking about resiliency that's the story hello and welcome to the earthy chats podcast where we're cross-pollinating environmental education ideas i'm one of your hosts jade harvey beryl I'm joining you as the Outreach and Events Manager for the Columbia Basin Environmental Education Network, or CBEAM, and the Outdoor Learning Store, which is your one-stop shop for outdoor learning, equipment and resources. I also run Stoked on Science. It's an environmental education and consultancy business based in the interior mountains of BC. And I'm your other host, Ian Shanahan, the General Editor of Green Teacher, an environmental education charity that produces a quarterly magazine books, webinars, PD, and the podcast, Talking with Green Teachers. Let's get started. Outdoor learning, taking students outside, isn't something that should be another thing added to a teacher's plate. I think, you know, the way I see it is some of this technology that we've been talking about, it's been baked in to the education system now. It's been baked in to students' day of learning. And I think the idea with outdoor learning and taking students outside, the hope is that outdoor learning can be baked in to students' educational experience through K to 12. And so, yeah, whether it's the winter challenge. Welcome to this edition of the Earthy Chats podcast, where we're trying to cross-pollinate ideas in environmental education. Uh, Today's fantastic guest uh, is Colin Harris. He's the founder and executive director of Take Me Outside. So, um, sort of unusual start story, he initiated his organisation just by running a casual 7,600 kilometres across Canada. uh, No big deal. Just, you know, just as you do um, on the regular. I, I mean, I regularly run coast to coast of a giant country. Um, he did it over nine, mo- <laughs> nine months, went into 80 schools across the country and engaged over 20,000 students uh, in the conversation about their time spent in front of screens compared to their time spent outside, um, especially being active and connecting to nature. So Colin uh, has been immersed in the field of outdoor and environmental education for over 15 years. He's been the director of outdoor ed at the Ontario Base Centre. He's instructed canoe trips for Outward Bound Canada, and he's worked with Indigenous students in the Western Arctic Leadership Programme in the Northwest Territories. 
He's taught grade seven and eight, has completed a master's of environmental education and communication uh, at Royal Roads University. Um, he's en route to a PhD. He enjoys trail running, writing, and continuing to find ways to engage Canadian students uh, in exploring this country's incredible backyard. And we'll dive into how he's doing that as we go. Um, Colin lives in Banff, uh, Alberta. And thank you so much for joining us, Colin. Nice to be here, Jade and Ian. Super fun to chat with both of you. So, I mean, we know your work pretty well and we're partners and everything that you do. Um, and having read your book and, and know you, know about um, sort of your connection and what's brought you to where you are. But for those of you who of our listeners who haven't read your book yet, um, can you share a little bit about your sort of upbringing? Like, were you, were you born in Banff and, um, you know, where was your connection to nature? Did that come early or did that come back to you a bit later? Yeah, it's always, you know, I, I feel like I, our family moved around quite a bit. And so I didn't have sort of that sense of place in terms of one specific place or one specific home. And, and so my, I think there's a deep appreciation for this country and its landscape because I was able to sort of move around with my family. And some of those moves were difficult, but um, at the end of the day, looking back on it, thankful that I got to sort of see various parts of the landscapes uh, of this country. And yeah, I mean, I think growing up, it was, it's just a different time. I mean, I know we, we talk about it ad nauseum sometimes, but I, well, I how think... old you are. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> I don't want to admit how old I am, but yeah. no date of birth think... will be necessary. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I think just like, you know, it was a time and age where, where, sure, I, I had many TV programs that I watched, but there just wasn't much else to do inside other than read. And I loved reading, but you just went outside. And I, again, I know we sort of talk at length about sort of, but there's just such a lure these days uh, for all of us, not just kids, but adults too, of, of that draw that technology brings some of it is great but it does sort of enable us to stay inside a little bit more than we used to absolutely and and it's and it's addictive right it's connecting with these parts of our brain and our hormones and our mm-hmm. um that we would normally get these good feelings for being outside um and it sort of doses us with that dopamine and serotonin in greater number and very quickly so it's it's easy for you to get into a cycle. Um, I guess we'll go there a little bit later as well. Um, so I, I mentioned that you ran across Canada um, and started to take me outside. Um, can you share for people that might be not familiar, hopefully they are with your fantastic national organization, but if they're not, can you share a little bit about who and what Take Me Outside does generally? Yeah, for sure. I mean, it's, uh, you know, this was, it was sort of like, it started with just a personal dream combined with a lot of the research that was coming out. And so I had this lifelong dream of wanting to run across the country. And then that coupled with, while I was working at this outdoor center in, in Ontario, um, there was just all this emerging research about how much time kids were spending in front of screens. And at that time it was really focused on sort of how it was detrimental to f- people's physical health. And so, 
you know, tried to marry, marry the two and, and run across the country. And yeah, it was really just trying to go into schools and, and present that message and have conversations with students and indirectly teachers as well about that, this idea of spending less time in front of screens and more time outside. And we'll chat about it more later, but I think really in a lot of ways, that's at the heart of outdoor learning. Um, you know, I think interested in chatting a little bit about the digitization of education and how outdoor learning certainly there are moments where technology can be incorporated into outdoor learning but you know are there moments where students can learn without a piece of technology or a screen in front of them so yeah hopefully maybe dive into some of that a little bit later but you know did this sort of in the midst of uh, my master's program and taming outside this has sort of been a love affair off the side of my desk for the better part of a decade i have another full-time job still currently uh, but it's just been in the past few years where taming outside has been able to grow capacity and and really try to be sort of um you know i think the best way to describe it is just we try to open the door a crack for teachers to invite them in to this conversation around taking their students outside. So whether that's new teachers, whether that's teachers who've been teaching for 20 years and might be quite sort of comfortable in a traditional indoor classroom, you know, what does it look like to, to extend that learning environment beyond four walls and a desk? And, and Tame Outside just tries to really sort of facilitate and and organize some fun events some fun initiatives that hopefully are accessible for teachers any teacher to to think about taking their students outside and they are they are accessible and i love what you do and yeah we'll go there in a bit i think it's really interesting for me that even like you talk about technology outside but i also used to be obsessed with worksheets i i had to you know have worksheets and kids be writing things and <laughs> doing doing stuff you know follow <laughs> the pedagogy um and i just love i love and so much of what for me is connected with take me outside you know it's not a break from learning we're not like i believe that play takes an enormous part of of learning all kinds of skills um social emotional turn taking um planning but it's not a break from learning it's just taking your learning outside and what i realized is i didn't need to take paper and pencil i actually do still like to do some art and journaling things but also just moving the body and being out in that space whether it's a schoolyard or out into the mountains um that just it's so it's so there's so many variants of it you know whatever you're comfort level is as a teacher like you say take me outside offers resources and things to give you a foot in the door and then you can take it wherever you want to go um there's there's so many levels to it Mm -hmm. yeah it's uh i mean i think it's you know again it's something that as we sort of progress and learn more about this idea of outdoor learning it's it's not just putting resources and tools into the hands of teachers certainly that's at the forefront of of what's needed, you know, especially from like, it feels like a lot of teachers who buy into this idea of taking their students outside, it's that bottom up approach. Like it really are the, it's the teachers who are taking that initiative individually as an educator to explore this idea of taking their students outside. And I think, you know, that's the beauty of outdoor learning. It needs to come from both directions. I I think there's a lot of room for growth with like a, a top 
down model where administrators are really supporting that the process, the infrastructure, the the approach towards that kind of pedagogy for teachers, but it also requires teachers to, it still requires the teacher to sort of buy in to taking their students outside and simply giving them resources and tools. Although that's an important part of it, that's not all of it. And so you need teachers who feel strongly that spending time outside in their personal lives is important. And when it's important in their personal lives, that'll sort of translate better to the work that they do with their students. Absolutely. Shift that paradigm of, of everyone in rows sitting silently, copying out things from books um, into, you know, the vast myriad of, of ways that learning learning can be done. And that's, you know, the outdoor learning store. Like all of our resources are geared towards that. You know, books like Messy Maths as well, where we're, it's, it's not just about just nature and the environment there's maths there's history there's sociology everything um can be done outside uh, but you're right you've got to get the the decision makers on board and um yeah the work you do supports that i think in the book as well so you you talk about the running and you talk about outdoor edge you talk about physical health um i think what's also interesting for me in there is there's a lot of talk about sort of the resilience of spending lots of time outside and then this sort of journey um, how that builds resilience in, in young people. And I feel like I I see that a lot in my students that, you know, there's more slipping opportunities or there's more banging your wrist opportunities. There's more, you know, dirt on me and things are less tidy. And I see the more that we do this and the more that we spend time outside, how um, much more resilient they are. Is that, was that intentional in, in the book or, does, or is, am I just making it fit my, my my mind no i mean i i think it sort of there was a narrative throughout the book obviously in retrospect it took a lot of sort of resiliency to wake up every day in a crappy rv and tie up my shoelaces and and run 40 <laughs> to 50 kilometers um and so it makes my feet hurt just thinking about it <laughs> so i think that's one of the amazing things about sort of outdoor learning and and sort of the the research that that backs it up is that the more time we spend outside the more that sense of resiliency is greater and i think you know i think we're just i'm not going to lump both of you into the same age bracket as as myself but um <laughs> our generation and i say that generous generously like we just grew up spending more of our time outside and I, I think we that resiliency was was built over you know like it was just built more naturally and now it's just a little bit more of a challenge and that's okay but I think it's you know again we sort of sometimes we find it difficult to bridge sort of that that gap between what the research tells us and then how we put that into practice and and what does that mean for you know what does that mean for the education system what does that mean as parents the list is long but i think it's important to to sort of keep shining a light on all the positive things that that spending time outside can offer and just continue trying to build on that a little bit Absolutely. Couldn't agree more. And just for the record, I was a go outside and play and come back as the sun goes down, but not before. Be out there for the whole time. I did, right however, my, 
Yeah, right. We oh, and we lived sort of rural outside, just outside London. We had oh parks and little forests, and we used to go and cause great mayhem. Um, saying that, my dad did occasionally used to do like a drive by and check that we were wearing our bike helmets. He was that, he was that dad, <laughs> just making sure that we were, you know, we'll wear your bike helmet because my brother got knocked off his bike when he was young and wasn't wearing his helmet. And, you know, it um, it was very important that, that that happened. But other than that, it was like, go free range and do your thing. So I'm with you on that one. How about you, Ian? I was totally free range too. Like I grew up in sort of a semi-urban, semi-rural type of area. And we as neighborhood kids would just play tag or whatever sort of iteration of that. And I remember there were some pretty significant injuries, like some very bloody knees, you know, lots of tears and whether it was me or a friend, but we all lived, we all survived. And I still hold those memories very precious, preciously. I don't, can you use that as an adverb? Anyways, those memories are very precious. Yeah. Preciously better than Mm. moistly. Anyways, (laughs) we won't go there. But I obviously I think I'm a unique creature as all of us are because we work in outdoor and environmental education. But I I think anecdotally, at least you talk to people, you know, cherished childhood memories. They often involved grass stains. For sure. Yeah. Hello, listeners. This is Ian. I'm just here to let you know about the Talking with Green Teachers podcast produced by Green Teacher. If you don't know who Green Teacher is, we are a registered charity in Canada serving environmental educators in Canada, the U.S., and overseas. For only $32 a year, you can subscribe to our quarterly magazine, which has been running in North America since 1991. All proceeds go back into the organization to help us enhance environmental literacy among young learners. For more information, check out greenteacher.com. You can find Talking with Green Teachers wherever you get your podcasts. We talked a bit about resiliency and obviously running across Canada over the course of nine months is grueling to say the very least. And though the landscapes across that entire distance are so incredibly different and the vegetation and the fauna is so incredibly different and awe-inspiring when you are running, as you said, 40 or 50 kilometers a day, I can only imagine there were times where you weren't necessarily seeing the beauty. Were there any landscapes that almost made you angry in just how grueling it was to move through land like that? At times, yeah. I mean, I think there were moments where, you know, in Newfoundland, there were some, you know, people talk about the Rocky Mountains, but actually the Rocky Mountains have, you know, Rogers Pass. It's like, Mm -hmm. it's a long uphill grind but it's it's uh it's gradual whereas newfoundland there were some hills that were significant even to run up let alone drive up so i think those were difficult you know stretches in the prairies where you can just see for kilometers and kilometers (laughs) and you wonder how long it's gonna take to, to get to that point but you know what i think we're just a perspective is important and i think on those days where it seemed mundane or the landscape didn't seem inspiring there was always a sense of thinking about this idea of progress and how humanity has progressed the technology the way that we live now is just so different and to think that 
indigenous peoples travel this country in various parts of it and didn't have access to anywhere near what we have access to. I mean, if you want to start talking about resiliency, that's the story. You know, and I think as well, it's sure there are landscapes. I mean, the reality is sort of with the infrastructure of the Trans-Canada Highway, there are some moments where, you know, it just feels more industrial. You have yeah. trucks and cars whizzing by you. But, you know, even there are so many places along the Trans-Canada where even sort of a few hundred meters off the highway, you ex- you can experience this deep beauty and you start to realize the scope of this country, the landscape of this country and and how diverse it is, how big it is. And I so I, I think I tried to keep that in mind, even on those days where I didn't feel particularly inspired. One thing that stood out in the book talk that you did last year, and also when we chatted for talking with green teachers, was you said you didn't want it to seem like it was one side against the other, sort of the digital realm versus outdoor learning. And I think I maybe personally appreciate that very much because I'm so bothered by the false dichotomies we see everywhere, the us versus them, the black and white sort of mix. How do we find that balance between using digital technology as we are using right now? I mean, we are all looking at screens. We are using products made from plastic and precious metals, yet we're advocating using those media for outdoor learning. So how do we, what are some other ways, maybe I should say, that we can find that balance? Yeah, it's a good question. I feel like you've asked me in a time where I agree with you. It's it's not binary. It's not one or the other. And yet I, I think the question over the last few months that has come up for me repeatedly is, are there moments in a student's learning from K to 12 in the future that will not entail some form of technology as part mm-hmm. of their learning? And I so I absolutely can apps be used to teach environmental education outside 100 percent is technology great to have in the classroom it can be absolutely i think it's it's just taking a critical look at how that technology is being used who has access to it i mean i i think we all of these issues within a critical lens i think the you know, we're fortunate in North America, I would say there's large parts of this country in Canada that have access to technology in the classroom, but there are certainly gaps to that. And there are numerous schools that struggle with incorporating technology into the classroom. So I think it's, yeah, I think it's just being more critical. I think, I think one thing that happens with technology is, is that it progresses so quickly that when something new and shiny comes out, there's a desire to like try it out. And I think this happens within the education system as well. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's really discerning what works, what doesn't work, and what is really going to be beneficial to a student's learning and to their journey. And I think, you know, when we look at how many. I don't know. I mean, I know this becomes contentious, but I, you know, we just talked about this in, in class the other week, which is, you know, you look at something like Google Classroom, and absolutely there are benefits to using that platform in the classroom. But then you start to dig a little bit deeper, and you know, we live in a capitalist society. Does Google 
like what is the number one priority for Google? And I think it would be hard to argue that it feels like, but I don't know whether I'm being cynical to say that the dollar is still the bottom bottom line. Well, you know, it has to hard be, to argue, doesn't it? it? Yeah, <laughs> it has to be. Whereas you I know, feel like some of the apps that I use with students, like iNaturalist or the eBird or the Cornell University bird app i actually can't remember what it's called sorry um yes merlin can be so helpful and then they're collecting data right which is feeding back into the research i feel you i feel you with the big the big companies there's there's got to be yeah and i think you know even going back to just trying to answer your question ian i mean i think there are numerous opportunities for technology to be incorporated into outdoor learning to environmental climate change education but I think it just needs a critical lens to look through of how that technology is being used. So I think that's one key thing that that I think the education system needs to sort of keep an eye on. And then, again, I, I feel like a bit of a broken record here, but I think just asking that question again of, you know, when we think about the future of education and all the technology that has been baked into the classroom already, And then we start, you know, you look more into the future and you start to look at things like AI, uh, Mm -hmm. the role of AI and how students are going to learn. And I just find myself asking over and over again, will we have any moments within a student's learning through K to 12 where they don't have a piece of technology in front of them? And I think that's one of the great things. And, and you know, in this work that we're involved in, we talk about Indigenous perspectives and that connection to the land. I mean, what a great example of sort of an education system that doesn't have to rely on, on technology. And I think it's, there's just a lot to learn in, in doing that. There is. I think one of the complicating factors is... You mentioned about the speed at which the technology develops. We've never had a stretch of time where paradigm-shifting technologies are released in such quick succession. When you read a book like uh, what's it? Ronald Wright's A Short History of Progress, mm-hmm. it talks about the major steps and the major technologies. There was enough time in between those to kind of feel things out and figure out what are our checks and balances, what are our limits, what regulations do we need to put in place. And our political institutions, our educational institutions, do not move as fast as these major technology changes. And I feel like we're just playing catch up. And the other big part of it, and Ron Debert has written slash spoken a lot about this. He's from the Citizen Lab at the University of Toronto. He did the Massey Lectures with CBC in 2020. And they're so addictive. Like when I think about, say, a graphing calculator, that was a really cool thing to have in trigonometry. (laughs) You know, in a trigonometry lesson, it was like, you know, teacher brings out the case. All right, we're going to work with the graphing calculators today. And it was really great. It was really cool and sine and cosine and everything else. But then we put them away and we got back to doing what else we wanted to do. We know now, and there have been enough whistleblowers, fortunately, but unfortunately, ultimately, who've talked about the fact that the aggressively addictive quality of these apps and these technologies are deliberately baked into them. And anyone who spent time in a classroom nowadays knows that you are teaching to cell phones 
as much as you are teaching to students. That's how much they've taken over the classroom experience. And I, I find it, and I don't want to be cynical here, but I find it really disheartening, especially indoors. It is easier outdoors mm. because there's a lot more additional stimulus and there is still the novelty factor. But I, I'm with you, Colin. I do wonder, will there ever be a time where technology, especially digital technology, is not baked into every moment of education? And is that the best for our development, for our children's development, even as they develop for a world that is dominated by this technology? Yeah, it's, uh, I, again, I think these are important questions to ask. And I think, you know, you could argue that to a large degree over the past decade, I mean, technology has really already been baked into the classroom. Um, yeah. You know whether oh, yeah, it's... we used to have blackboards, and now you've got smart screens and all these things. Yeah, it's... yeah, and I you can't I write wanna... on them. <laughs> yeah, and I, <laughs> I mean, I don't. I think there's a degree to which I mean that's, you know, I think it's this balance of there is good progress, and I think there yeah. is there can be arguments to be made that computers are you know, can be more if effective tools to a degree than a chalkboard. Although, you know, it's interesting. I mean, that that study, I believe it was out of Harvard. I mean, this is for university age students, but still that that taking handwritten notes was they retained more than mm -hmm. typing out notes on their laptop. And so there is, you know, again, these are important questions. And I think we we live in an age where we try to put an emphasis on science and the research i the difficult part is we also live in an age where there are so many variations on that science and hmm. depending on your worldview you can find science that leans in whatever direction you're already leaning so that makes it a little bit more difficult it's hard to study kids right it's hard to study youth and then you need like these longitudinal studies where we look at you know can you you can't just isolate a group of kids who don't have technology in a classroom in the same sort of socioeconomic background or area or place it's it's impossible you know or it would be said that you were sort of depriving them of things um so it's hard to do that research i think in a sort of classroom setting and you know have them as the subjects of a study all of the resources featured in this podcast plus many more for students and educators alike can be found online at the Outdoor Learning Store. Visit www.outdoorlearningstore.ca to view what's on offer. From waterproof notepads to binoculars and dip nets to sit pads, the store has you covered to take your learning outside. In addition, there are educator resource books to help you take your outdoor education to the highest level. That's www.outdoorlearningstore.ca. We're Canada's non-profit resource store. We are the Columbia Basin Environmental Education Network, or CBEAM. You can visit our website at cbeen.ca. We are the regional network for environmental education in the Columbia Basin, supporting a community of engaged and effective environmental educators by connecting them to resources, information, professional development and networking opportunities. There is more and more research coming out um, that supports um, the things that we've known forever, that like physical, social, emotional well-being, just by being outside, circadian rhythms, uh, lowered stress hormones. Like we know those things happen, and 
oh man, I'm a very high energy, you know, high propensity for stress type human. And I just go and walk in the forest and the, you know, what's the, the Japanese word for forest bathing? Can you, either of you remember? Oh. Like yin, yinkoshi or yinjoshi. I have to, I have to look it up, but um just being out there, I mean, they've been prescribing that for years. I love that that BC, I think it's uh, Ontario, and one other doctors can now prescribe yeah. um, national parks passes as medicine. <laughs> like, and I think in the UK actually that that time in nature, or, or you know, has has started to come into things with. Um, you know, diabetes or heart-related illnesses. So, it's yeah. The, the, I feel like the big machine mind is waking up, um, but it is it's serious stuff. Um, to yeah, take that serious stuff and talk about action. So when and I take a lot of this from the work you do, Ian, and and you, Colin. But that um, when we're talking about things about climate change that are quite dark and heavy for students, so much of what we can do is talk about action that they can take, and um, rather than feeling, you know, that they they don't have any options. And so take me outside does a bunch of different stuff in order to support students and teachers with outdoor learning and and learning about these things uh, in a way. Colin, can you share a little bit about some of the successes maybe that have come, um, or some of the the initiatives you have that are helping yeah for sure i mean we just completed this past week winter challenge so really encouraging ed- educators across the country just over two weeks to to take some of their learning outside even in the heart of a, a canadian winter um, <laughs> and so it's you know there are challenges for sure with that but uh, again i think we get emails and messages from educators who indicate and convey that you you know well i was concerned about clothing i was concerned about weather i was concerned about conditions but they you get beyond that and those do take some tools and resources to get beyond that but you get beyond that and you get sort of this message conveyed that the students really were impacted by their time outside and that it wasn't as difficult for educators as they thought it might be and I think that's a, it's a key thing. I mean, you know, educators, especially over the last couple of years, and it feels like it, it's just becoming amplified every year that more and more is being put on their plate. And so I think outdoor learning, taking students outside, isn't something that should be another thing added to a teacher's plate. I think, you know, the way I see it is, some of this technology that we've been talking about, it's been baked in to the education system now. It's been baked in to students' day of learning. And I think the idea with outdoor learning and taking students outside, the hope is that outdoor learning can be baked in to students' educational experience through K to 12. And so, yeah, whether it's the winter challenge, I mean, our big initiative, is at the end of October, uh, Take Me Outside Day. And that's really sort of our key initiative in a year that really tries to advocate for outdoor learning um, and bring attention to this right across the country. And and so, you know, this past Take Me Outside Day in October, we had 9,000 teachers and just over mm-hmm. 400,000 students Yay. participate. Um, 
And it's, you know, there are organizations like Green Teacher, like the Outdoor Learning Store, and so many other partner organizations that are committed to this work. And I think, I think that's sometimes we can get into the weeds a little bit. And I understand why. I mean, I think there needs to be a focus on environmental education. I think there needs to be a focus on climate change education on various sort of areas of education that sometimes get that get wrapped up in this field that we're in. But I think this broad umbrella of outdoor learning can sort of, if we can invite that teacher in to consider taking their students outside, then they can start to branch off and I think get interested in, okay, well, you know, if we can strengthen that student's connection with the outdoors, then it seems like that's a more natural fit for caring about the environment, caring about issues like climate change. It's not to say, you know, I think the research that I've read is a little bit on the fence in terms of that connection to nature and caring about issues like climate change. Certainly there can be, you know, I think that's one of the positive things you could say about social media is that there has been, it has sort of spurred a movement around climate change, which is a good thing. But again, it's not, there's no singular sort of answer to any of these issues. And I think, you know, taking students outside is one part of it. It's not the definitive answer, but it's something that educators can do that will help sort of make a better citizen in the future, I think, of, of a child growing up who has that connection to the outdoors, even in an urban setting. You know, again, so privileged to live in a country that has such amazing green areas, green spaces in cities like Toronto, Calgary, Vancouver, Montreal. It's a large country, but it's it's uh, one that sort of has the outdoors and nature at its at its roots. Oh yeah, that's why I came here. Like the green spaces in, like, say, London, UK, for example. I mean, there's there's some nice parks. Don't get me wrong. Um, <laughs> they're very manicured. Uh, you know. The, the wilderness here and, and even the green spaces in, in cities seem a bit superior um, to me. I think I agree I agree with everything you're saying. And like for me, if we're looking at needing to, you know, provide diversity, equity and inclusion in learning as well, that um, going for a walk outside, you know, making sure that there is access to appropriate clothing and things and i think we've talked about that a lot in different workshops about raiding thrift stores and asking you know parent advisory councils to support a big trunk of of clothes for uh, anyone who might need it on that day um i've just seen you know kids with labels um or that clearly find the the standard classroom challenging go outside and and just have the best day of their lives i see everybody just especially you know what we've had recently you know take off their masks and breathe and i just can't i can't imagine a life without being outside and the research does say yeah care leads to stewardship and i i look at these these young lives and think don't forget about it yeah go out there as long as you can see it as long as you can see the value in it um one of the other books in the store Gillian Judson's a walking curriculum talks about like 
the nice and the not nice walk. So you walk mm, along lovely. and you, you think, and what is it? Oh, the lovely, that's it. The lovely and unlovely. It's so British. Um, <laughs> and looking for the things that you find lovely and identifying them, but also identifying the things that were unlovely. And how would you feel if the lovely things weren't there anymore? And actually, it's a super challenging thing to talk to about kids about because I, I think a lot of the time, especially with the younger grades, we're not asking really for your opinion. Well, I don't know, when I grew up, we were not asked for our opinion. <laughs> all about how we felt about things um and it's quite interesting even sort of having those conversations there's no leading it's it's all self-led like how do I feel about it and yes I would be sad if that tree was cut down or I prefer that area over there um that does have a structure because it shelters us you know it could go any way but um I think the work you do uh, and the initiatives and the way that you provide resources as part of that and in the sort of like emails that come with all these little bits and pieces they can use, it just, like you say, I don't think it opens the door just to crack. I think it sort of blows the barn doors open uh, for a flood of, of sort of easy access. So I think it's pretty amazing. Yeah, thanks, Jade. It's um yeah, I mean, I think there's a lot of work to do. Sometimes it feels like the work that we're immersed in, it's this, it feels at times like it's an uphill battle and not maybe battle, but that it's an uphill journey, that it's, you, you know, there's this element of trying to convince administrators. And I think you, you sort of have to back up and look at the education system as a whole and and realize that it's, I mean, I think a lot of experts within the education system feel that sort of the the system as it was designed was problematic to to begin with and that it's never had sort of a really solid model that has been fully fleshed out and and it keeps having tweaks to it but the the essence of the education system seems to be staying the same and so when we talk about you know are there opportunities for, I mean, what does it mean to, what's the word? Are you talking what? about like implementing mandatory, like time outside or? Yeah, like I think in, in our field, yeah. But I think we, sometimes we, we sort of ask that question, like what does it mean to revolutionize education, mm-hmm. to, to really sort of change the education system? Um, and I think it's, you know, I don't know if there are again good at like solid answers to these types of questions but I mean maybe for you you're both immersed in this work but what is like what is that utopian view of the education system for students like what what is that work the work that we're trying to do what is the end goal well, it has to be more based on a divergent model and not this conformity and this convergence and I know there still have to be standards. Like there, it is necessary to have literacy, numeracy, and For sure. you know, literacy, numeracy. Some of the basic skills there are basic facts that people should have at the ready without even having to check on their phones. Which theoretically we can get answers to questions within a few seconds. But there are still facts that we need to be able to recall fully and completely without having to search our phones. But again, this whole idea of one side against the other—it's not that can still exist along with a system that is more divergent. And, you know, it comes down to the inquiry-based learning, which is something that we talk a lot about in Natural Curiosity. One of our partner organizations does a lot of work in this area. 
that's certainly anecdotally in my practice where I've seen the most life, the most life and joy in learning environments is leading from students' curiosity using that inquiry-based model. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I totally agree. I think the Scandinavians have been doing it pretty well. I lived in Norway for a bit and they start outside and they normally go on some sort of walk or adventure to start their day and then um yeah the curriculum is is not as strict about what's going to happen now and then often if they find something yeah they'll they'll do they'll base their learning around that i also did when i lived in australia there was an independent school there that um as the kids got older i had a really big age range but students um, could choose a specialist subject so they were doing literacy they were doing numeracy and they were doing basic science um, but they had a specialist subject that they could choose each year that they would get to develop their knowledge about and um, I mean I'm a fossil head and one of the students was into, <laughs> was into to dinosaurs and we ended up going on this massive sort of research project and we ended up making you know our own fossils with casting and learning about the different ways that uh, animals and plants are preserved and you just saw these kids like light up because the learning was theirs. It's like, this is my passion project. And it could have been umbrellas. And they were like, go for it. You know, um, whatever ins- inspires you and you get to do your bit on it. And then we're going to focus on some other stuff later. But it, they were so engaged in the learning. I can't even fathom it. Um, and yeah, I'm a complete bookish human who really does well with a book and text and regurgitation um i i worked i did well in the in the traditional education system it 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 worked for me i loved it i liked the endless reading and writing of papers and things um but i know that it just does not work for so many people um and that we ostracize them from being successful and we drill into them that they're not meeting a standard if you know they don't fit into this mold and it and it it makes my heart hurt that um some of the most creative and thoughtful um and and caring young people are not getting um the the positive feedback that they deserve in in this education system so for me yeah a little bit less of a rigid curriculum um which Actually, in BC, they've tried to do. There's more like these big ideas, yeah. and there's more room. I'm I'm actually really impressed with it. And um, but I would like to see mandatory outdoor time, other than recess, because recess is for straight play. And for that, I would like to see. Um, yeah, I like the word mandatory. Um, I'm, <laughs> you know, I'm still in the system. I'm still telling people what to do, but it's to go outside. So. Right. We should just we should create the next school system. If you're listening decision makers it's us three we're in we're ready (laughs) we're on it we're ready (laughs) stoked on science providing engaging educational and fun programs across the columbia basin is your school or organization looking to develop your environmental programming connect your outdoor time more deeply to the curriculum or engage your students or teachers with unique programs that go beyond the basic science topics like delving into the history of the earth how it's changed and where it's going if so visit www.stokedonscience.com to connect for environmental education consulting or to book programs for your k-12 and adult professional development courses 
are there any initiatives on the horizon? And I, I don't want to be a spoiler or anything, but anything else in the Take Me Outside realm that you're really excited about? We have our ongoing workshops for teachers in partnership with the Outdoor Learning Store and, and numerous other outdoor learning partners, including Green Teacher. Um, yeah. <laughs> over, the, over the next few months until the end of the school year. We're, we just, in the next sort of month and a half, we'll be rolling out our annual student video competition. Oh, yeah. So then that's like a marriage, I guess, of, of trying to use technology and sort of our time outdoors. That's there a partnership with the Banff Mountain Film, Film Festival. And I must uh, say, last year's winner, like I looked at it because I thought, oh yeah like i've made a couple of videos with some students and i was like oh wow yeah. like this guy's gonna win an oscar one day like <laughs> no to kidding. have that level of of ability and 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 direction it was so complex and amazing um yeah i was pretty blown away by by that yeah shout out to uh colin fearing uh, another colin but colin <laughs> fearing he lives in canmore and uh, yes, he's got some some mad skills uh, to <laughs> to create some of uh, that visually. So, and then we are going to do a spring workshop in Fernie, BC. That will be in early June. So yeah, it's a few things that were sort of, you know, again, Tammy outside is sort of still this grassroots organization that is trying to build capacity while we still try to you know advocate for outdoor learning across the country and so with that comes some some growing pains and we're still trying to find our way a little bit so there's lots of ideas that we're trying to build on uh, and bring to fruition but yeah those are those are some of the things that we're working on over the next couple of months and, and talking about building capacity, so part of the way you do that with your social enterprise like we do with the Outdoor Learning Store is you have a store, right? That's for um, apparel, there's beautiful t-shirts sort of designed by uh, different artists, um, there's caps, there's toques, um, and all of the profits from that go back into supporting outdoor learning, right? Or getting kids outside. Yeah, I mean, that was really one of the the first things that Timmy Outside started doing. And when, when I was running across the country, we were fortunate enough to have MEC put some of those shirts in the stores and that helped in part fund the run across the country. And, and that's happened since. I mean, there's been numerous sort of years where MEC has put those shirts into the stores. And yeah, I mean, I, and it's gone beyond that. I mean, I think teachers respond to some of the apparel that we have but i think we've seen lots of orders just from the general public and and i think that message is you know just that those simple three words have they start a conversation you know it's funny over the years there's been lots of adults who they have difficulty calling the organization take me outside and i think there's like this reluctance for an adult sometimes to use the word me and so they end up calling the organization take it outside or take them outside <laughs> but i think that's that's really at the heart of like yes this work that we're doing is focused on outdoor learning it's focused on students and and teachers but but really the message of taking outside at the heart of it i think tries to speak to all people who are who are living on this land in this country and that it's important to to find moments to to say, yeah, take me outside, whether that's 
myself taking myself outside or you know friends family or whoever uh taking you outside so that's some of the messaging that we've focused on in our apparel and and it seems to resonate well with with folks well when i wear my one of two take me outside t-shirts that i have um i always think of it like my inner child uh like speaking out or my subconscious or whatever saying take me outside get off the computer you know also that then the dog barks i'm like all right okay take him outside take (laughs) me outside it's it's all really important take everyone Um, outside take everyone and the other t-shirt i have says not all classrooms have four walls and i always wear that when i when i teach outside because yeah so much of the learning um that has impacted the way that I live my life um, has been outside. So it's uh, it, you can probably tell from the way this conversation went how deeply each of us feel about this issue. Oh, yeah. Um, oh, yes, we are. Um, so I think, you know, we've we've chatted for 50 minutes like it was was five uh, for me. Um, and I just want to say thank you, Colin, for joining us. Yeah, thanks, Jaden. Ian, it's uh, it's always great talking to both of you, and and um, yeah, I feel very fortunate. I mean, I think that's being immersed in this work over the past decade with Tamey outside, but especially over the last three years, three four years, there's been sort of real growth uh, and partnership with folks like yourselves, with organizations like mm-hmm. the ones you're involved with and it you know it just feels like there's so much potential to do a lot of good within this field working together and it's you know it sounds cheesy but but it's um yeah i think that collaboration uh, and that spirit of collaboration that we have hopefully can sort of you know help move the needle on how we view education and and sort of what the education system and the administrators who who run that education system can sort of again look critically at and and help really hone in on or focus in on what a student is is experiencing each day and and i think you know we all feel that the outdoors is a is a key part of that here here yeah, beautifully said. Uh, you can find out more about uh, Take Me Outside at takemeoutside.ca. There's a link to the store there, to all their initiatives, uh, and they've got lots of great things coming up. Thank you so much for joining us for this month's Earthy Chat. You can find the resources featured in this podcast at the Outdoor Learning Store. That's www.outdoorlearningstore.ca. You can also visit greenteacher.com for incredible educational resources and webinars. And cbean, that's c-b-e-e-n.org, for a range of environmental resources, including professional development opportunities, grant information, and green jobs. Lastly, you can visit www.stokedonscience.com to chat with me, Jade, about science workshops or educational consulting. Tune in next month for more cross-pollination of ideas and another fun, earthy chat. It always times out. It always kind of naturally just sort of gets to its spot in time. It's it's great.
It's nice. magic. Very nice and dark. I have to ask you, Colin. I was going to ask during the discussion, but I thought it might be a bit off topic.